there are moments when you, I think every person, as you get older, there's key moments where you realize you're just getting old. <laughs> and I'm, I'm experiencing some of them now. Sometimes they can be physical, like your knee just give out. Or sometimes it's just cultural or sports related. So yesterday I saw this tweet from, there was a heavyweight boxing match between Deontay Wilder and somebody else. And somebody else. Ortiz. Juan would know. So, so uh, Wilder beat him in like the fifth round with a knockout. Something like that. And I realized I'm getting old. Because I remember the days when you was excited to watch a Mike Tyson fight. This little bulldog, man, he'd walk into the, to the ring, black shorts, black shoes, and then you'd pay hundreds of dollars to watch this on pay-per-view, and he'd knock the dude out in 38 seconds. Wasted your money. The most vicious boxer in my day and age. And I used to love it, man, the heavyweight. You had Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson. I mean, it was just like, and you'd watch Mike Tyson fight and be like, man, I'd, I'd be terrified of that dude. And then they would interview him afterwards, and then you would think differently. How <laughs> does the dude that is so ridiculous in the ring get on the mic and be like, well, I feel like I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he, was a, he wasn't a threat to me. He wasn't a real threat. I was like, that's, why, that's the only reason why people fought Mike Tyson for real. Because if you watched him fight in the ring, he was like, I'm not even wasting my time. But when you heard him talk, he was like, I can beat that dude. <laughs> Anybody that's like, well, I feel like, I feel like you know, it's ludicrous to think you're thinking. You can fight him. You'll fight him. Yeah. At least where I'm from, I'll fight a dude if he talks like that. But I'm getting old because I don't, I, I just, the box, everything's changed. I can't watch the fights no more. I can't watch, I don't even know who the boxers are. It's just not the same. It's not the same. I miss Mike Tyson. Sort of. Sort of. But boxing is a wonderful reality. And the reason why I'm saying that is because today there's a boxing match in our passage, actually. There's a boxing match between two different kinds of people. Two different people in two separate corners, the red and the blue. In the red corner, you have those who have their minds set on the things of the spirit. And in the blue corner, those who set their minds on things of the flesh. And, and the passage is going to help us understand Essentially, which one are we? Which one are we? How do we know which one we are? This is one of those passages, particularly the end, that you read it and you think, man. When you get to a verse like this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring mortal, your mortal bodies to life. And you think, man, you think about the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and you think about your own life, and you see the disconnect, and you wonder, is this talking about me? Well, by God's grace, today, we're going to zoom in close and sort of separate. We're going to referee this boxing match this morning. But don't get hit. I heard every boxer has a plan until he gets hit. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 today, but we're going to start back on where we ended up last week in verses 1 through 4, just to get a fuller context, and then we'll zoom in to verses 5 through 11 of Romans chapter 8. 
Beginning in verse 1, though, for the fuller context, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the CSB translation. And it says this in verse 1, Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Verse 4, in order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 5, our passage this morning. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we, we've gathered together for a number of reasons, but the primary reason today is to be to be connected to a body of believers, a, a group of other like-minded men and women who have professed faith in you and who day in and day out rise and fall to some degree and stumble our way through seeking to glorify you. Also mixed with people who are here for a variety of reasons. Some don't know you. Some may be forced to be here. Some may be curious, but you've set aside two distinctive mindsets here, which are really the way two different people think and focus, different kinds of people. And so I pray that this morning, as you have really used this passage for me the last few days to really evaluate myself and to bring conviction to me at particular moments, I pray that where it is applicable for those in this room that you would bring conviction as well. Father, God, the words that you've given me carefully and whatever is true, may it resonate and, and, and bring about contemplation for those who are affected by it. And where it's not true, I pray that your mercy would remove it from their memory. And where I'm in error, may they themselves study on their own to see if what is said this morning is in fact true. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this opportunity. Now, please, may your spirit help me with this responsibility. 
In your name we pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is called What's on Your Mind? Pun intended. At the very beginning of this section, Paul lays out two contrasting mindsets. These are like two worldviews, two different emphases from two different kinds of people. Oh, let me say one thing real quick. If you have a cell phone, please put it on vibrate. Please don't use your cell phones during the service unless you're taking notes. You play chess afterwards, scrabble, words with friends if people still play that. Candy Crush, if you still play Candy Crush, there's, a, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> that game is old, old, old. Like the first app game that ever came out. Update your games. All right, but turn those on vibrate. Turn them off. And let's go. And these two, these two, these two worldviews, if you will, represent those who are kingdom-minded and those who are not. Those who are kingdom-minded have their their mindset on the things of the spirit and those who are not on the things of the flesh. So this, this idea of kingdom-mindedness and who have their, their mindset on the things of the spirit are, are people who, who live by faith in the kingdom of God as if it were present now by sight in anticipation of living in it one day by sight. This is what it means to have faith. It's not just faith in Jesus that we have. It's faith to obey and to do things that are contrary to what we see in this kingdom. Because by faith, we live for and believe and anticipate being physically present in another kingdom. But Jesus said, his first, one of his first words was, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. And Mark 10, he told his disciples to go out and and, and heal the sick, cast out demons, give to the poor, make sure the blind see. And then he said, and preach the gospel, saying, the kingdom of heaven is near. So what does it mean then to have your mind set on the things of the flesh versus the things of the spirit? Well, there's three words that we're going to focus on initially at the outset in verse 5. There are three words that will help us understand what does it mean. The first words that we're going to focus on, it says this, for those who, these are the three words, live according to. Live according to. Now, in the original language, in the Greek, there's a lot of definitions for this, but the ones that are the most prominent, that, that make the most sense in terms of what he's getting at, is simply saying this, it's those who are facing toward, Live according to is like facing toward or in the name of. So when it talks about living according to, you are facing in that direction. You, in the name of this particular direction, in relation to this direction, this reality. Those who live according to are facing and heading and pursuing a direction. That's what it means. Those who live according to are focused that way, whichever direction you're facing, to the flesh or facing towards the spirit. Now, this passage has a lot to talk about with the mind. Very intentional. 
very intentional language. It says, who have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. This phrase, having their minds set, is very important, very intentional by God. Now, another way to say having your mindset is to be intent on, to let one's mind dwell, to fixate one's attention on, or to keep thinking about. So if you live according to, if I'm facing towards the flesh, then I am fixated on, I am constantly thinking about the things that are of the flesh. And if I am, if I am facing toward, if I am living according to, giving inattention of, in relation to the spirit, then I am facing towards the spirit and I have my, I've hold an opinion. I, I am intent on, my mind is dwelling on the things of the spirit. I am thinking about my attention is fixed towards the spirit. This is what he's saying. So it's very, very intentional language that God is getting at because a lot can be misconstrued by this passage. There are people here who can lack confidence in their genuineness because you read this and you think, well, man, I know my mind is, can be set on the things of the flesh. What does this mean to me? Hopefully by the end of the message, we'll clear that up. The idea, though, of your mind being the issue is a, a consistent and significant biblical thing. You will hear, tra be transformed by the renewing of your mind when we get to Romans 12. We'll hear this idea of mind. Renewing your mind is a fundamental biblical command for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You will be hard-pressed in a credible translation to find renew your heart or renew your emotions. You will be hard-pressed. I think that's intentional for two reasons. One, by way of analogy, here's why. Many of you in this room, by the grace of God, have never been to a prison, a penitentiary. Maybe you visited, but you've never frequented, you've never been inside of a prison. But a prison will be set up with multiple buildings, often by levels of severity. So you'll have minimum security is usually the closest to the front gate, medium security, and then maximum security in the facility. And these are the big buildings. And then you will see probably three to four towers where guards will be in towers with guns just in case a riot breaks out and they have to control the situation. They have to stop people from maybe rushing to the gate and trying to climb over the fence, even though there's barbed wire on top of it. That's their responsibility. Well, the heart is very much like the prison, where a lot happens inside of these walls. There are good things that happen. There are Christians in these prisons. There are people who are kind and gentle, who are patient, who, are, who keep to themselves, who don't cause trouble. But then there are people who are looking for opportunities to do others harm, locked up in the same place. Well, that is very much like the heart. There's a lot that resonates in our emotions and our feelings. 
But the mind is the rationale. The mind is the reason. Often, we have to fight how we feel with what we think. The mind is the one, is the gatekeeper of all things. It, it makes this action, this attitude, okay. So the mind is like the prison guard in the tower, making sure that the heart and all that's in that does not rush out and overflow. Often what we have to battle are our emotions, our feelings. From the smallest thing, like someone cuts you off on a road, to a larger thing, like someone's offended you greatly, stolen from you, physically hurt you, or hurt someone you love. This reality is the emphasis is on renewing your mind because God knows the way he designed us is if we can renew our thinking and have our minds set on something other than sinful responses, then it'll affect how we feel. And let's be honest, there are plenty of opportunities where I feel like saying this, but my mind says, don't do that. The scripture we go to, the, we reorient our mind to think, you know what, that's not going to honor the Lord, even though, man, do I want to say this or do this right now. And often when we do do those things, it feels good momentarily. So you don't see the scripture saying renew your heart. I think the, the, the heart is overflowing, but the mind is the rationale, the reason that allows those emotions to take solace or to be held back. Another reason why I don't think you'll see the emphasis on the heart, you'll be love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is a sense of your, your inner being, your heart is supposed to love God, but one of the reasons why the emphasis is not on changing your heart because God in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, when looking forward to the new covenant that he would make with people, he says, I'm going to change their hearts already. I'm going to renew their hearts. I'm going to put my spirit in these people in this new covenant and their hearts will be different. They won't have to worry about and have the Ten Commandments with them and all the 613 laws of the Mishnah carrying with them to make sure they're not breaking them. Their desire will be not to do so because I will put my law on their heart. So God has already changed the hearts of those who are believers doesn't mean we don't have things in our hearts to deal with. That's the battle of life. That's the battle. When we have our minds set on and we're living according to, it's I am intent on, I am fixated on the flesh or the spirit. But there are two other words that this verse says that we have to unpack Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So what are the things that it's talking about? What are the things of the flesh? What are the things of the spirit? How do we process that? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you've, you evaluate, do I really believe this? Am I really living for this or not? 
This is the reality. What are the things of the flesh and what are the things of the spirit? Because he doesn't really lay that out in this passage. He says it as if you already should know what these are. He just explains that if you live according to the flesh, that's death. If you live according to the spirit, that's life. So what are the things then? What are the things that I can measure to say, okay, I'm living according to the flesh right now, to the spirit? What are the things that we measure by to know where is my mindset? What's actually on my mind? I was watching this conversation. It was a very fascinating conversation. It was a conversation that a reporter it was a woman was having with two people who looked like women, but they, they were women, but they, they said they were non-binary. And they were explaining to the reporter all the different gender and sex. And she was like, well, what about your sex and sexuality? And what about gender? And, they were, and, it was, and the lady was just like, I'm sorry, I'm just confused. I don't really get it. I don't understand. There's all these different types. And so one lady said, we like to think of it like this. Sex is who I sleep with. Gender is who I sleep as. And the lady was like, oh, okay, that's helpful. And I thought, interesting. And all the stuff I've read and thought, that's a very simplistic way to get at. Okay. Well, I'm going to remix that and apply it to this. I'm going to remix it. Now, I rap a little bit. I'm going to remix it. So when we're processing the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit, we're going to look at in these two categories, who I live as and who I live for. So who I live as and who I live for. Those are two categories for understanding the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh. Now, because he doesn't list the categories in this passage today, we're going to leave Romans momentarily and go to a different passage in Galatians 5 where he really lays this out very clearly. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, you can turn there. If not, I'm going to read it in just a moment. Galatians 5 is where he lays out the flesh and then the spirit. I hear paper ruffling. It's like, it's like the wind blowing leaves a little bit. I'll give it a second. All right, Galatians 5. Here's what he says. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, Carousing, which is excessive, doing things excessively, and anything similar. So this is a big list. And now it's like, uh-oh, because I do some of these. Yes. I'm guilty as charged of a few of these at times. Then he says this. As I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So in this particular verse... Instead of live according to or have their mind set on, he uses the word practice. We're talking about practice. 
Here's what he's saying. The mindset on the flesh will live according to these values. Will be facing toward these values. Will have their minds fixated on these values. Will be practicing these values. Will be living in attention to these values. Will have their minds formed around these values. Will be committed to these attitudes and actions. This is what it means. Now, this isn't just struggling with something. This is not what he's talking about. He's talking about agreeing with it. He's talking about agreeing with it, not struggling with it. Everybody struggles. Only person that we, that we don't have a clear presentation of their struggle, and even that, you could say there's some things in the garden and certain things there was a struggle for Jesus. There's genuine struggles that people have. And the struggle, if we were, re- if we were doing Galatians, I'd go back two verses to 17 and then say the, the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These so that you do not do the things you want to do. In other words, the spirit is stopping you from giving in to the flesh. That's evidence that the spirit is there. This is not just struggling, this is agreeing with. You know, sometimes we really complicate the issue. Jesus makes it very simple, and this has been very sobering. This whole message for me has been very sobering. But Jesus makes it very simple. If you honestly, if you honestly want to know how you're doing as a Christian, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Very simple. It's not complicated. Whenever someone says, was that person a Christian? You say, I don't know. Okay, if you don't know the person, that's one thing. But if you know them, it's not complicated. Here's what Jesus said. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the, stored up in the, of the good stored up in their heart. And an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. If you really want to know how you're really doing, just what's the fruit that's coming out? It's really not complicated. If you want to know how you're really doing, how any, you just observe the fruit. This is very important because in the culture we live in, you'll have people who have horrible fruit that want the grace of the opposite. They want you to think the opposite, and that's loving, but there's no fruit. Or the fruit doesn't match what it's supposed to from what you're saying. It's not complicated. It's who do you live as? Who do we live as? What do we agree with? What are we facing toward? On the other hand, he talks about living as the Spirit. We live as the Spirit. He goes this in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. 
Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's an interesting statement. If you live by it, keep in step with it. In other words, if you are committed to living, if you are saying you face in the direction of the Spirit, if you are living according to the Spirit and your mind is set there, then keep in step with it. Why does he say that? Because it's possible to confess that, to believe that, and not do that. It's possible. And all of us have different moments, yours truly included, where it's like, whoa, what happened here? What happened here? The mindset, and then he says this in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I'm not teaching Galatians 5 today, so we're not going to fill all that out. But the mindset on the spirit will live according to the attitudes and actions listed here. Listed here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness gentleness, and self-control. If, if, there, if our primary expression is the opposite of these things, then our minds are set on the flesh. No good tree bears bad fruit. I didn't make this up. I'm convicted by it as you are. Who do you live as? What are the traits that you live as? Where are you facing toward? What do you agree with? I'm not, we're not talking about on Sunday where you agree with the message. It's very few of you that will disagree with the message like this. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we live outside of this? How do we think? What are our, what's our mind set on? When we're struggling, when our emotions are all over the place, is my mindset to give in to that? Consistently only? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It means we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, here's the challenge. There are people who live like this without being a Christian. So how do we evaluate this if Mormons, Muslims, just atheists, Buddhists, they're nice people. There's one major difference. What motivates? Who do you live for? Is the major difference. So who do we live as? And who do we live for? Because you can live as some of these attributes, but not live for Christ, not live for God, and it doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Well, in this passage, it says this in verse 24. Standing in Galatians 5, it says, Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. It says crucified, past tense. It means you have committed in your mind to die to the attributes of the flesh that he listed in 19 through 22. Like, I am committed. Doesn't mean I'm going to always do it. There are going to be times I fail at it, but I am committed. It's the mindset. I've crucified that. Like, I'm not trying to live like that. I'm not, I'm not committed to living that way. And if I'm stuck, then I'm committed to getting help and not staying that way. This is real, brothers and sisters. 
This is real. It's a lot of stuff going on that just is, this is real. Where people think their grace is like, I can just chill for a minute and just do whatever. This is real. We got to really wrestle with this. All of us. I'm not exempt. I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with this. And not because I don't agree with it, because it's showing me where I don't agree with it. The difference is the motivation. Anyone can be any of these attributes for a particular moment, but what motivates these actions? In Galatians, it said those who belong to Christ. In our passage, it says in verse 7, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. So we're motivated because we're submitted to God. What does that mean? It means a lot of the obedience, almost all of the obedience that we have has nothing to do with your personality. There are people who are extroverts and they go up and meet people and it's like, wow, you're such a people person and you love people. And you just might love hearing yourself talk. <laughs> Man, I'm t- listen, I, hey, there were times my wife was just like, hey, like we'd be talking to people. I'm all talking, and she'd give me that tap under the table, like, stop talking. <laughs> then I get offended because it stung a little bit. Both the tap and my pride was like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just drawing people out, asking questions. And it's like, you've been asking questions for 42 minutes. <laughs> Let them answer the questions. Like, this isn't about being an extrovert. There are introverts that are quiet, and you think that's humble. That's not humility. That's personality. The scripture says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. You are not humble because you don't say nothing. Humility might be learning how to say something to serve other people. This is real. We got we to wrestle with this. We got to wrestle with this. Uh, we do these things because we want to honor the Lord, not because it's my personality. Sometimes honoring the Lord is to do the opposite of our personalities. If you complain in the opposite of the person, that's your personality, and then confess. Ask for help. If you're critical, be kind. If you're self-righteous, be self-righteous towards yourself. The reality is, who do we live for? This is what motivates us. So when you live for Christ or God, we think, of, we think things like this. I'm trying to honor the Lord. We use that type of language. There are times when we only do what we do because it honors the Lord. There are times when every fiber in my body is saying, do the opposite. Let this person know how you really, you know how they say, tell us how you really feel. And instead you just send a little emoji. Because if I type this out, it's on, it's war. This happened to me recently, the other day. I was going to send a text to someone, and I knew if I sent this text, it would cause a conflict. And I just, was, and I just sat there at my desk, and I thought, that's the flesh. And I just thought of, man, I've been, I've been living according to the flesh. That does not honor the Lord. And then I opened up Galatians 5. And just read through the fruits of the Spirit. And I said, these two, patience and kindness. 
And I just said, thank you, Lord. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not one of the, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to say this, so I'm not mocking anyone who says this. But I'm not typically one that has like a, a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes over me. That's not typically how I think, what I experience. But there was a sense of peace like, yeah, man, this is, this is how we live. This is how, you, this is how we live. These are the two fruits of the Spirit that I need right now. But I needed to read the passage and remember. Because it's easy not to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 7, the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. It's a very discerning statement. This This is an important statement, especially in our culture today. It says people live hostile to God. This is God's perspective. This isn't the interpretation. Every one of your interpretations, if it's credible, it's credible. And I got to say that because some people walk around, you know, gospel according to Barnabas or something. <laughs> the prayer of Jabez, we're not talking about that. If it's credible, it's going to mention hatred, hostility, enmity, the very things that God said to Satan your offspring will be in hatred with his offspring, in hostility with his offspring. Then God's reconfirming that. said, the, the, the person is hostile. They do not submit to God. They are unable to submit to God, and they cannot please God. This is what he's laying out in this verse. Now, believe it or not, these words are actually encouraging to a believer. These are encouraging because a person without the Spirit will not do the things that the Spirit requires and will not do it, be motivated by the Spirit. They don't live as or live for. So when you are doing things because you live as a believer, but you're living for God, I want to honor the Lord, I want to submit to the Lord, and sometimes you do things because of that, that's evidence of the Spirit's work. Because according to this passage, if you don't have the Spirit in you, you can't do it. You can't do it. Doesn't mean you don't fall. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about sinless, sinlessness. It's not sinless, it's sinless. Those words are separated. We sin less, even though we're not sinless. These are encouraging words. Because it means that when you resist, when we fight, And when we're motivated to honor the Lord, that means the spirit is present in you as a believer. And the spirit does not do this. The spirit does not go inside a person and be like, oh, they get raised in. Let me step back out. Let me let you sin. Oh, he's good now. Let me get back up in there real quick. Oh, he's getting raised in. Let me step out. It doesn't work like that. The Spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit says, let me step in, and I'm staying here. I'm staying here. And I'm going to remind, I'm going to get after you. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to get after you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to get after you. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to get after you. Until the Father says, welcome home. The Spirit doesn't leave when we give into the flesh. And the spirit is not sitting there like, oh, man. <laughs> now, it does say we grieve the spirit, yes. But the spirit's not sitting there like, man, I'm getting ready to leave this dude. 
right? When I went to India the second time, there was a scene where we split up. And India was very, for, from, from our vantage point, India was very supernatural. Very, it was just a different vibe. It was just totally different. It's nothing like over here. Over here, everything's proper and put together, and we have a, over there, man, they don't, they, don't care about what, they don't care about what doctrine you believe. No, it's the power in the blood of Jesus Christ. They ain't care about nothing else. So we, got, we, we, we were going into this village to preach, and these villages were, I mean, they're highly demonic. So we split up into two teams. And our team went this way, and our, our buddies, my buddy, his name was John Smith. We call him Tank. His team went the other way to the other village. And we were walking around, and they, and they kind of prepare you like, hey, listen, don't, there's, there's, you know, demons and stuff around here. There's people possessed, like, be on your game. You know, you, and I mean, for me, like, I, you know, I, I, we don't see that, right? We, demonic possession and stuff are usually people in, in, in um, insane asylums and stuff like that, or they be serial killers. Like, you just look at them and be like, man, that dude is crazy. You hear the story, like, what he killed? You just know it's demonic, right? We don't really see that that much. But, you know, we watch a lot of movies, you know, so you see the stuff in the movies. So when you tell me that there's possessed people, there's demons around here, don't play around, I'm instantly going like to Hollywood. <laughs> so I'm walking around looking at people. And, and John and them came across a lady who was sitting on her front porch. And I know I've shared this before, but I want to share it because I think it works for the context here. She was sitting, in, sitting forward and moving in a small circle. And so the pastors over there, when, when those Indians, when they become Christian, they come up, they, they pick names from the Bible. So everyone's Moses, John, David, Peter, John, David, um, you know, Abraham. There's all these people. They, just take, they take on biblical names. They don't even care about the other names. And so Moses was a young little, he was a young, but he was like a little dude. And he just, he thought, he thinks all this stuff is like fun. So I'm talking about like demon possessed. Like he just loves to play with demons. And so it was like, huh? So, so they walk up and he said, hey, this lady's possessed by a demon. Come on. <laughs> right? Right. Y'all laughing because y'all would have been like, hey, fam, I'm the sons of Skeva, fam, like that demon. So they walk up and then Moses says, who are you? And then in this demonic voice, this lady says, go away from her, children of God. We've been with her 40 years, and we're not letting her go. And then the demon repeats it. And it's clearly a demonic voice. Repeats it. And then Moses starts to say, in the name of Jesus. And then someone opens the door and just drags the body in. And people were like shook. And then they stopped and realized what happened. And the lady who was possessed by a demon looked at them and said, children of God. That demon could see in the spiritual realm what we can't see about ourselves. And when they came back and, and they were all worried, and I, and I think I was the one, I, I forgot who it was. I ain't going to take credit for it. But I remember being like, children of God, the demon called you First, I was mad, like, Dad, why wasn't we over there, you know? But then I was like, hey, I was fired up. Like, let's, let's, let's tear the village down for Jesus. Because the demons could see what we can't see of ourselves. You don't do these things. You don't live as and live for God unless the Spirit is in you. So what happens when people profess to be believers 
and they fall away. They may have been trying to live as a believer, but they weren't living for God. Now, when you don't live for, people who don't live for God live for the self, the flesh. Listen, in a culture where things are, where it's cool to be politically correct and not ruffle feathers to some degree, it's, it's appropriate to be kind. We live in a society where being nice and being kind and being respectful, obeying laws, those things are just make it go well, make society go well. So it's, 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 it's normal to have a culture like ours where people are going to be living a particular way because it's a cultural thing. But when you don't live for, when your motivation isn't to honor the Lord, you won't live as but so long. At some point, the other shoe's going to drop and who you are is going to be who you are. And so John says this in 1 John 2. If they went out from us, then they were never with us in the first place. Because those who live full stay living full because the spirit stays living in. This is the reality. So if you're living for the flesh, then you live for yourself. People whose mindset are on the things of the flesh are for themselves. And there are times it, it, serves, my, it serves me to live a certain way. It serves me to be gentle and kind because I may need something from these people. So where are we at right now? We said a lot. If you live according to the flesh, you're facing toward in the name of in relation to the flesh or the spirit. If you have your mind set on, that means you're, living for, you're facing forward, living according to, holding an opinion to be intent on. Your mind is dwelling on the flesh or the spirit. And verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So that there's no theological misunderstanding, he makes the point very clear that those who living in willful, unrepentant sin, who do not believe in Christ, who think that they can fulfill the law of Moses or the law according to their own definition of good and evil, are living according to the flesh and they cannot please God. This is important discernment for the way we process culture today. Because we are being told, we are being told and the church is, in, in some regards, in some circles of the church, are folding to the pressure of the culture that says, in order for us to be loving like Jesus, listen, I don't know how many of you, it, people who are married, it's, you, you will probably not go to a conference on how to have a wonderful, loving marriage if it's taught by somebody who's never been married. If you are single, you won't be going to a conference on the joys of singleness by someone who was never single, it'd be hard for you. You're like, oh, you got married at 18. You can, you can, uh, what do you know about? You know? Not that you couldn't be humble and learn, right? But it just, it just wouldn't make sense to you. You just, you just, it would be difficult to do that. It would be difficult. If you live according to the flesh, you can't please God. There's no theological misunderstanding. They cannot. We don't have to believe what people say because they say it, especially when their actions indicate otherwise. It's not loving to act like these people are believers. And to take my cue, listen, 
I wouldn't go to a conference by somebody who's never been married who talks about how, nor am I going to take my cues on people, how to be loving like Jesus from people who don't know him. That's just me. You do whatever. I'm not going to do it. You don't even know Jesus. But you quickly tell me that I'm not like him. Well, if I'm not like him. <laughs> Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know what this is? This is an ode to chapter 6. This is an ode to chapter 6 where he emphatically makes the case that sin, the power and presence of it, should not reign over a believer. This is an ode to chapter 6. Verse 8 are people who live counter to the argument he's making in chapter 6. That sin has mastery over you because you live for and you live as. That's the direction you're headed. So now here's where it gets tricky. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. This one we're like, oh, man. If any, anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So it's if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. It's where people get discouraged. This is the gut check. So how do we process if the spirit is there? Well, I've already said it up to this point, but sometimes we need to reiterate. The best verse for me in the scripture to process that is 1 John 5, 3. Best verse to process. It says, for this is what love for God is. To keep his commands and his commands are not a burden. So here's the question. Are the commands of God burdensome to you? Are they a burden? Are the commands of God burdensome to you? I'm not talking about are they sometimes hard to obey? You disagree with them, but they are burdensome to you. It's almost like, man, I got to ask for forgiveness. I got to be humble. I got, it's a burden. Are the commands of God burdensome to you? Is there no joy in obeying God, even though it's hard sometimes? Is there no joy in that? You know what the scripture says, count it joy, not because the circumstances of which you're living as and being tempted is easy. It's because who you're living for. You're living for God, the glory of God. You know, the things that people struggle with God the most are not promises that he made. You know that? Most people struggle with things about God that he didn't promise. He didn't promise your, our lives would be easy. He didn't promise our marriage would be perfect. He didn't promise our kids would be believers. He didn't promise we would get married. He didn't promise we wouldn't get cancer or any other thing that happens to us. He didn't promise that we live to see a ripe old age. He didn't promise any of that. He didn't promise we would never be falsely accused, never be disliked, none of it. He didn't promise any of those things. What he promised are, when you suffer and you persevere, I'm with you. He didn't promise that. The majority of the things that people walk away from God for are their own desires and things that they want and demand. He didn't promise us that. But he did say, here's how you respond when these things happen. Here's, here's how you live when you're disappointed. Here's how you live. Who, remind yourself who you live for. If you want to know 
if you have your mindset on the things of the Spirit, then ask yourself, do you have a conviction to honor the Lord? Do you have that conviction? And if your answer is yes, then where does it play out in your life? Do you have that conviction? Because not every Christian does. Not every professor Christian does. Do you have a conviction? A conviction is an ongoing perspective. It's what I live for and live as. Doesn't mean we we won't fail, we will. But do you have a conviction? And if so, where do you see that? If you really want to know, that's what you do. If you really want to know, those are the questions you answer. What's the fruit? If the commands are burdensome, and there are people, even people who used to be in this church, they walked away because the commands were burdensome. The command of not being in a sexual relationship outside of marriage is burdensome. The command of asking for forgiveness and trying to work through things with your spouse was burdensome. The command to love and not be bitter is burdensome. It's burdensome. It's not going to do it. Left the church. Most of them left, left the Lord. It's burdensome. He never promises us we won't have trouble. He actually promises the opposite. What he says is, here's how you live as, because you're living for. This is what you do. And when there's joy, which is the fruit of the Spirit, it's only because of who you're living for. It is not because the circumstances don't hurt. Verse 10, now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. He's just saying our physical bodies are still going to die unless he returns before that happens. And because we're guilty of sin, we're going to die. But the spirit will raise us to life as he did in Jesus. Now, there's one thing we have to remember, that there are two deaths the Bible talks about. There's there's this life, the physical death, and then in Revelation 20, there's the second death, which, which God says he will throw Satan, the false prophet, and the beast, and all those whose names are not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of burning fire, and it calls that the second death. Those who are in Christ will not die in that sense. will not die. Death has two realities, but only one for the Christian. The physical death. The spiritual death is not ours. That's those who reject Jesus. Lastly, verse 11, he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. A wonderful promise for us to continue in kingdom living, but this also raises a question or a concern. And this is, I think, underlying for a lot of us who haven't, there's a lot of us who haven't experienced some of the supernatural stuff that you hear about, like my, my time in India, 
or you read about in the Bible and you think, man, are you? And we think, man, how is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in us? And yet I don't feel any supernatural, any real sense of when I'm fighting sin and I'm tempted, I don't feel anything in me. But I'm supposed to believe the spirit of God is in me, but I don't feel that. So when I read these passages, sometimes I get a little bit worried because maybe the spirit of God is not actually in me because I don't feel like I can rise from the dead. I can't even rise from being offended right now. How is this working? What does this mean? How do I know the spirit is actually in me? Because when I'm trying to resist, I feel like it's just me or I just have a passage of scripture. It doesn't seem like it's working. So how do we process that? This is where the God, in anticipation of these struggles, did something wonderful. Right? Matthew chapter 3. Jesus goes to see John the Baptist. Jesus says, baptize me. John the Baptist is like, man, I need to be baptized by you. To not baptize me to fulfill the scriptures. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. And it says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, right? Now we're in Matthew chapter 4. It tells us that Jesus fasted for 40 days. He was starving. And the devil, not Jesus' own temptational desires, the devil himself, shows up, knowing that he's hungry. I got the devil having spent 40 days in the wilderness watching everything Jesus said and did. And he says, turn these stones to bread. Now remember, Jesus has the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The same spirit that did all those miracles, now Jesus is tempted to sin. And how did that spirit supernaturally work so Jesus resists sin? He quotes scripture. That's all Jesus did. Don't miss the connection. Jesus, the son of God, God himself, the Holy Spirit is in Jesus. They did all of those supernatural miracles. But when it came time to face the enemy and to be tempted and resist sin, Jesus didn't do anything. But what he commands us to do is believe the scriptures. So when he said, turn these stones to bread, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live on bread alone. When he said, jump off of this, this high brew and the angels will come save you, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. When he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms, Jesus said, worship the Lord your God alone. Deuteronomy 6, 13. So the same spirit that was in Jesus that led him into the wilderness to resist sin did the same thing that we have to do. Believe the scripture and quote the scripture. And that was enough for the devil to be like, I'm going to be back for you. There is no supernatural feeling to fight. Jesus didn't demonstrate that. And we're supposed to be like Christ, right? What he did have was I believe your word. And that was enough to combat temptation. The problem is not the weapon that God's given us. 
The problem is we often don't believe that it's a weapon. There is no more filling that you need. I don't think personally there is no deliverance that you need. We need to believe this, quote the scripture, and resist. So when you sit in there struggling and you open up Galatians 5, it's like, okay, this is what I, how I believe. This is how I got to respond. To be honest, I'm talking to those of us who've been Christians for a while right now. So for a while, be more than like seven years. This applies to everybody, but I want to talk to those who've been Christians longer than seven years. For many of us, we've lost that new Christian sort of spunk, right? We've lost, that's why we, we love seeing new Christians because they're just zealous. It's like, it's like watching a puppy, isn't it? It's like, they're just so excited, man. They want to tell everybody, they want to read all the time, they want to do all It's like watching a puppy. And then after some time goes by, we kind of lose that. You know why? Because we've been through some things with God. We've been disappointed. God has let things happen to us, and we, or we failed enough to be like, man, we lose that excitement, that initial joy of, of conversion. Sometimes we forget we forget because we get taught enough, we've read enough, we've experienced enough. We forget that this is a weapon, that he's given us a weapon. I'm a pastor. It's my job to counsel, to teach, and to do this stuff week in and week out. And I needed to open Galatians 5 and read it to remember what I'm supposed to do to remember how I'm supposed to respond. Now, I'm not even the godliest person in this room. But I want to say to those of us who've been believers for a while, we need to make sure that we, we meditate on passages like Galatians 5, that we meditate on 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, and we remember the ways that we're supposed We need to meditate on James 1, 2 through 4, and remember those attributes that we're supposed to have. Now, this applies to everyone, but those you've been a Christian for a while, you kind of been through enough, you've seen enough, you've been to enough churches, you've heard enough sermons, you've done all that stuff. It's kind of like, I get it. No, we don't. We don't get it. We've often lost it. Maturity isn't how long you've known something. Maturity is how much you believe it. It's important to remember the fruits of the Spirit. That's our aim. That's what we're living as. Because according to this, according to this passage, we are submitted to God. That's who we live for. That's why we're motivated. I'm not motivated to fight sin just based on what you all think, because you're not with me sometimes. You're not with me. Most of us aren't with each other when we could give in to sin. We're not there. We're motivated because we want to live, we live for God, and that's our reality. The mindset on the things of the Spirit will live according to and have their mindset on the fruits of the Spirit for His glory and for our good. Let's pray.
Father, I just want to thank you again. I want to thank you in front of this church, as I did privately this weekend, for this particular passage, the distinction for leading me to Galatians 5 and then reminding me of Matthew chapter 4. Sometimes because Jesus was your son and Jesus was who he, who he is, I can forget. I think everything was easy for him. Or there was some, everything was so supernatural that it's so distant for me, but yet, Yet you, you, Jesus, you did the same thing in the wilderness that you asked us to do. You live as and you live for God. And you just quoted scripture. You quoted the words that Moses wrote that you told them to write. You didn't, you didn't tell Moses to write those words for the people. Moses wrote those words also for you in the human flesh. The very words that you commanded him to write from heaven, you came down to earth and lived and believed and used. You have given us a weapon to live as and to remind ourselves who we live for. Father, please may that be our reality. May it continue to be our reality as we wrestle with these things. Father, I pray for those of us who will interact with family members this week at Thanksgiving meals, who there may be some estranged relationship or, or we have a burden to share the gospel and we can feel awkward I pray that you would help us to, to have courage, to be able to share what, to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. You are the one who saves regardless. Even if you use us evangelistically, you are the one who changes the heart of people to believe. It's not my method or my style. We see in the book of Acts, you used many different methods and styles. You used exegesis from your word. You used testimonies from Paul. You used philosophy in Acts 17 from Paul. You used biblical theology in Acts 7, Acts 8 with Stephen. The onus is not on us. to believe in your heart, to confess that you are Lord, and you to believe that you died on the cross.